see the beauty in it, like see that it can actually deeply fulfill what you're here to do and the impact that you're here to make. And that when you thrive in business, everything that you love and the here to touch gets to thrive. Hey, my name is Julie Tenner and I'm obsessed with all things deepening your experience of life, love and practice and helping you to navigate how to take your work and your clients deeper. I'm a mama of four who works from home, running a multiple six-figure business that is soul aligned. I teach you the tips and share the knowledge of deeply inspiring practitioners and facilitators that can take you to the next level of your life and business journey. And of course, the messy middle of where they meet. Think of this as the classroom you never had on how to break the mold and the taboos that keep you bound in your work and life to do what you love and be well paid in return, mixed with business school. So pull up a seat, pop on those headphones and get ready to be challenged and deeply inspired while you learn. Let's deepen together. This is the Deeper Practitioner podcast. Connect with me at julietenner.love. Bridget Wood is a mentor for the whole embodied living and loving. A masterful facilitator, Bridget creates spaces and conversations designed to raise collective consciousness. Embodying authentic leadership, activism and empowered motherhood, Bridget's work will revolutionise the way you approach your life and your beliefs. Her powerful transformative online programs and long-running Nourishing the Mother podcast are sought out by women across the globe. An avid researcher, Bridget deeply understands human relational dynamics, our neurological biases, and our innate need for connection. With a Bachelor of Communications focused in media, journalism, and sociology, Bridget is a captivating speaker and facilitator who compels audiences and coaching clients to open their minds and challenge their status quo. So hello and welcome, gorgeous, wonderful, marvellous Bridget. Thank you for being here on the Deeper Practitioner podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jules. It's really exciting to be here. So I'd love just to begin with, would you mind sharing the traditional lands that you work or live upon? Yes, so I live on the lands of the Bunurong people um, down in Bayside, Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So I really want to honour the eldest person present because I really feel that, yeah, these these lands weren't ceded. So I really feel grateful to live where I do. Mm, thank you. So then what I would love you to do is just give us in any way that feels honouring to you kind of the umbrella overview of how you have come to being the Bridget Wood that we see, know, love and adore today, who is, you know, co-host of an incredible podcast, Nourishing the Mother, and who is a <laughs> <laughs> mama of an incredible tribe of consciously raised humans and who facilitates an incredible amount in the work that she does in the world online, in groups, in individuals, and out in the world at large. I would love for you to just give us a, however it rolls for you, an umbrella of your business journey. Mm. Yeah. So like, wow, what a question, right? Because it's like, you start to go back and think there was this point here where I made this choice. And I think so much of it comes back to motherhood cracking me open and really settling on the belief or truth for me that it wasn't motherhood wasn't the place that I would lose myself 
it would be the place that I would find myself again and again. Mm -hmm. And that's been true of every incarnation of business since I've become a mother has been a deepening into self Mm. through through what I see children bring up for us and also through the the why I think that expands as we expand our family Mm. you know we have this sense of responsibility this sense of really needing to to walk our talk and so I I had like dabbled in personal development all through my 20s as a byproduct of I think feeling quite unsettled in my corporate career and feeling like I was really trying to make myself into somebody that I was not Mm. because I couldn't find a way to do what I love or even what even figure out what I what what I loved was Mm. so in becoming a mother I think that in desiring to really see my children and hear my children and value who they were becoming it made it more pertinent that I could do that for myself too Mm. so in becoming a mother I mean I think you and I would just have certainly these incredible conversations and about you know this kind of stuff and about children and about the world and about spirituality and I really sensed that that was purposeful and that there was something in this that echoed the journeys of so many other women who now through this opening that they were offered that the lives that they'd constructed for themselves perhaps were no longer um, as fulfilling Mm. because they saw this little person looking to them for leadership, for guidance. And so for me, certainly with business, it's been, okay, well, what feels really aligned to me? What feels true to me? What do I want to serve with? And can I both serve other people in a way that creates magic for them and magic for me. And so that was like an events business, which I ran for five years, which really was all about connecting people with what moves them. And through through Nourishing the Mother and then, of course, the the courses and the coaching work that's that's really spun off from there. Mm. Well, let's just slow that down a little bit because it wasn't just like this little side hustle. Suburban Side Castles was a whole movement and a whole thing. It was a whole thing, yeah. So I started that in 2015. But let's Very just like that because i got to, okay, let me just lay it out for you with a couple of questions. Sure. So one, what is fascinating is that you have made the leap from corporate to entrepreneur and essentially Suburban Sound Castles was almost the bridge in between. It was the side hustle mm. that allowed you to learn, or my perception being you correct me in, in a moment, that allowed you to build the skill set, understand what was possible, do all of the things so that then it became much easier to make that leap into becoming full-time entrepreneur. Mm, yeah, great. Well. Perfect synthesis. Yes. So, <laughs> yes, and I mean, I would recommend that, like if you have the opportunity to do something like that, as well as that it gave me my wings in a sense and I got to practice and I got to stretch myself and I got to like do some of the, you know, what was impossible to me previously I got to do through the vehicle of that so I you know me terrified to speak in in front of any group of people you know eventually speaking to groups of more than 500 people and doing that off the cuff and doing that from a place of not a performance doing that from a really embodied place and 
I'm immensely grateful for that experience because of who I got to become. And through the ways in which it touched people, people still come up to me and talk to me about the impact of those events still. on them. But yeah, still. Yeah. No, I mean, still, I met a woman at the beach the other day, dog walking, who went, oh, my God, I've just realised that you're connected to Bridget and I used to be a stall holder at her event. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is why I'm yeah. saying let's not just, like, side, like, oh, yeah, you know, I did this little thing. No, no, you didn't. You did a really big thing that still has ripples today. So that's why I just wanted to slow that down. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, it had to grow with me to the point where I got to the point, well, I got to the point because it eventually grew to three locations. So I had, we had a beautiful setup in over in Geelong, which is um, on the other side of where we live in Melbourne, um, on the other side of the bay. Um, And I also had events up in Byron Bay. So it kind of like, I had this vision for it to really grow. And then I made this big choice to have a third child. So I started that business with one child, ended up closing that business uh, with my third child when she was about eight months old and the pandemic hit. And I made a really clear, clear felt sense in my body that was like, I'm not willing to hold any events until we're at a place that, you know, where everybody can attend and be present and be unfiltered and it be a really safe um, space again for people energetically. Mm. And I can't see in any near future where that's going to be. And now three, nearly, what, two and a half years later, maybe, maybe we're there. So I made a conscious choice to to let that go. Um, was that really hard? It was hard because I had poured so much of myself into that and really just adored the connections that I'd made with, you know, both businesses and, and people that I'd worked with, but also the community that came from it, like the community that was really people who felt like they had nowhere to go with like these areas of interest or these stirrings within their soul that they wanted to um, feel uh, connected to something bigger than them. I felt like such a a letting go of that that was hard because of, of, of the way that it was a movement. But I also had to let it go and trust that, that there could be a new form of that. And that it wasn't gone, it would just look different. Yeah. So can we just slow also that down just a little bit more? Would that be okay with you? Yeah. Okay. So you're in corporate. You're dabbling in um, personal development, which when you say dabble, I know also mean doesn't really mean dabble. Like, all in. Yeah, that's right. Because I know who you are. So mm-hmm. you're having these awakenings, epiphanies. It's opening up your mind, your heart, your soul, you're starting to search for there has to be something more. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I think I had a pretty big watershed year of, which would have been about 2014, which I bow to the gods now for my journey of secondary infertility because that was really what gave me a why big enough to sort my, not, I I was going to say sort my shit out, but actually it wasn't at all. It was it gave me a why big enough to turn my pain into something that there could be purpose in. Yeah. Amazing. Right? So, and we, we we actually have a podcast. I think it might be episode on Nourishing the Mother. It must be episode 
two or three or maybe, I don't know, it's in the first 10 episodes where I talk about you and I riff on this infertility concept and it was, I think, after I had done a bit of work around it. But when I journeyed into, I suppose, what that wound was for me and I saw in ways I could have never conceived before just through the support and tools to be able to expand my mind around it, I knew that I couldn't, a little bit like Einstein says, like, you know, once the mind has expanded to a new consciousness, you can't ever go back to that old level of consciousness. Mm -hmm. That was a year for that for me, probably those two years. And it really gave me this thirst for understanding human behaviour on a level that I never had truly grasped before. So how did you go from there to creating Suburban Sandcastle events, which were conscious movie screenings that you hand-selected that had also stallholders aligned with it and also had a panel of speakers for digesting the feature afterwards, right? Yeah. It's funny. um, I I went to this event. It was called the Wellness Summit and I think it was 2014. Yeah, it was. And it was really probably at the peak of my own wellness journey I think I was really looking for food to be the answer to my fertility issues and you know the more conscious I could be in my wellness and the more that was going to work right I was really kind of tackling it from that angle and I had heard somebody heard a speaker up there and it's like when the student is ready the teacher appears Mm. and this man who was a chiropractor had said something and it just it just reverberated through my soul I think it really spoke to me and I just happened to call him up like the week after and say, look, I'm really, I'm, this film that you were talking about that you were explaining, I'm really interested in screening that, like, you know, creating some kind of like movement around. It, was just, it just began with a single screening. Um, and then I think I did like two more. And then from the, the, the way that that felt in my body to be able to have pulled that off, and that, was, that just began as like a fundraiser. There was no like business nous around it at all. It was just, it was just the message came first. Like the, and this is like nourishing the mother. The message came first. And then I, I had this sense, well, if this, if I'm going to be able to be sustainable in this message, then there needs to be a business be underneath that. Mm. And so it was that first couple of events with this particular speaker that. I then thought I could create something with this. Like this could be something bigger than just this one-off. And that's when I resolved to do an event every month. And so I did that for, yeah, like nearly five years, sometimes multiple ones. And it was just, and it was just intuitive. It was what lights me up. And, and I, I had to experiment because things that didn't really light me up, but that, that I was doing because I should, like, you know, in air quotes, like I should, because that's what conscious living is. They didn't feel nearly as quickly or as well as the ones that I felt magnetized to. Like any film that I did around birth went nuts. Any film that I did around, I'm trying to think, education, like would sell out. Like anything that that was that really at the time was an expression of my true values, because I was so inspired by it. 
the universe picked up my energy and <laughs> brought all the people who were also inspired by that in some kind of magnetic way. So this is so interesting. So would you say that you had almost the same marketing strategy for all of the movies, but you could see a direct difference between the ease and the quickness with which tickets Mm. sold based simply on your own inspiration state? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I I could start to see a really clear pattern to the point where I got enough, I knew myself enough to know and knowing that I was also balancing this business with my corporate job at the time and raising my toddler, people would come to me with suggestions. But if I felt immediately like a no in my body, even though they might have loved it, I had to honour the no in me because I knew the way that my energy was spread that I needed to honour and follow what was most inspiring for it to be life-giving for everybody that was there. Mm. So the better you feel, the more the better everyone feels. Yeah. yeah. The more life you receive from something, the more life-giving it is for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that I mean, was it's pretty radical. radical. Yeah, yeah, right? Because you have to, like, push back against all of the, the you know, the business rules and it had a yeah. plan and the, and the structure and, like, you just follow this path. And, you know, because then I started to get lots of suggestions or I'd have people reach, you know, like even, like, film licenses reaching out to me. And I knew because of, you know, I had a, had a background in sales, I'd been trained in marketing and I really don't like the sleaze. And so, and I really don't like a hard sell. I don't want to push what doesn't want to, what people don't want to receive. And so I knew that for it to work, it needed to like be really in integrity with what was meaningful to me. Ah, so amazing. What were your key lessons from running events, which is very different in a way to the business you do now? Like what are your key business lessons from events? Mm. Key business lessons from events. Um, There are so many moving parts and there are a lot of overheads with events that you don't always realise and that typically if your business is going to, unless you've got a massive events business that's really high ticket, Typically, if an events business is going to be sustainable uh, financially, there needs to be other pe- other pieces to it because of the overheads like related to events because you've got to pay for film licenses, you've got to pay for event hire. There's lots of things. And so you need to be mindful of it as a business choice that, that it's not going to typically be, you know, a highly profitable business model unless you're doing it in a really large scale kind of way. Yeah. So the lesson, the lesson was, um, I didn't financially value my contribution enough to make it sustainable long term. I was, you know, I was often breaking even. I wasn't often drawing an income from it, and so that would create resentment sometimes in me about doing it. Mm. And I don't think that I really knew enough to at that point, to see how to do it any other way. Mm. Would you do it so, now? Um, yeah, I would. I would learn. I would become. I would be more business-minded. I think I was so taken by the movement and my inspiration mm. that mm. I didn't value my time um, and I didn't get strategic enough to make it, you know, really thrive because mm. my values were not there. 
my values were in the movement, my values were in what I saw as supporting. And because, you know, for a large part of that time I had a corporate income and I had this sense, well, I didn't need it to make money for me. By the time I did need it to make money for me, I also had more children and like my energy was split across more things. And so I also wasn't dedicating the time in order to really lift it. Mm, that's so interesting. So it's just that balance between like serving others and serving yourself. Yeah. And, and I can see, and like I don't, I don't judge that now and I can see that while I might not have made enormous amounts of financial success from it the training that I got from that and the relationships that I built from that and like it was like an incubator that you would pay tens of thousands of dollars for it's some kind of diversity right yeah some kind of like you know whiz bank startup I got to do everything from scratch and create something from nothing that transformed the lives of of thousands of people thousands of people and built a network yes that still sustains part of you today yeah yeah and and just to know that when you I know what it feels like to be so all consumed by an idea that won't let you sleep Mm -hmm. and that when you have oh like some the ways that stuff would align sometimes that shouldn't have worked. Like places like I, one time I walked in, I walked into the organic grocer and in there was a person from the film I was about to show. That's crazy. Like just the entanglements that were happening through some of these events. Like I loved that because it was such a great reflection of how on path I was. Yeah, how aligned because essentially the more aligned you are, the more synchronous, the more you notice the interesting. Synchronicities were just like couldn't even make this stuff up. And you were totally lit up. Like you were totally lit up. Yeah. So the energetic exchange there, like I love also that you're saying now I would look at it because part of my value is on having a financially sustainable business. Mm -hmm. But if we also take the conversation beyond there and go look at the law of reciprocity and all of the ways in which I received abundance Mm -hmm. other than one singular form of money, I wasn't focused on money, so it didn't come in money, but there was this abundance in all of these other ways that flowed into me. It's such a great yeah and so that's why there's no like bad feeling for me at all about like oh that business failed or oh that didn't succeed because it did it succeeded in the exact way I needed to at that time of my life love it I love it so then COVID hits and you have your third child and you're like okay this season of this is over what Mm -hmm. happens then yeah so what I, I think what I felt was clear to me was because the, the thing that that events business required of me was a lot of deep research across a lot of diverse t- topics. And I realised that I couldn't do that justice and also like create the family life that I really wanted. And so I wanted to draw like kind of, instead of having this like, you know, wide lens view, I wanted to narrow my focus and so I actually did create a, an online course, which was really to help people um, find themselves on some more solid ground at the beginning of the pandemic. And so it was like a, you know, quick, my, my first kind of online course on my own, right, that separate from things that, that you and I had done with Nourishing the Mother. Yeah. And that was really just to prove to myself I could do this and I could 
And, and so I was actually in many ways doing what I had done in the events but in this online form, so good. which was really cool. And then from there I, I started to recognise that there's like lots of common threads in the people that were coming to my events but that also I was finding were drawn to my work now and it was typically mothers and it was who we become as we mother and also how do we really meet our children, like that intersection. So it was, you know, conscious parenting but also our own growth on that path. And so that kind of clarity helped me niche down further into working with women, specifically mothers. Mm. I love it. Thank you yeah. for doing that journey. Thanks for asking. That's good to reflect. It's so nice, isn't it? It's such mm. a good journey, yeah. What does deeper mean to you? Yeah. I just love the invitation to get beyond the surface, like to look at like in some ways like what we see on the surface is like the decoy from what's actually really going on. Like what's the problem beneath this problem here? Mm. A little bit like you don't look at a child's behaviour in isolation from its family. Like you come to understand the child through understanding the environment from which it comes. Mm. And so we come to understand ourselves through the environment in which we're in and, you know, to get beyond all of the layers of like morals and like the shoulds that we pile up on ourselves to actually look at, okay, well, what's this, what's functional here? And so to go deeper is to, is to instead of like pathologize what I see here on the surface and make it mean something, is how do I look at this person in front of me, whatever their story, and love them in what they feel is imperfect, knowing that somewhere here there's some beautiful piece of perfection that if we trust the truth of that, we'll be able to get there. Mm. And, you know, I just absolutely adore holding women in that non-judgmental place that helps them almost energetically, like, take down the walls that they put up or the beliefs that they have up that say, this is the right way and that's the wrong way. Or this is how I should be and I can't be that to help them then go, oh, wow, they can start to see like that the behaviour that they've, you know, judged in a partner or a child or themselves is in some way meaningful, mm. not necessarily something to just get rid of. And when we see that it's full of meaning, you then get to shift it if you want to. Mm. It's not, there's no absence of meaning. Mm. Yeah. So that's what I would say it means to go a little bit deeper is to like take off that lens of as much as we can as humans, right? Like to just take off that lens of, you know, I know and judgment mm. and look at, look at what's beneath the surface. Mm. In what ways has your own practice or coaching practice deepened over the years? Mm. Definitely through witnessing 
my clients and witnessing what they shift or also what they choose not to shift as well, right? Because sometimes what we hold on to is also meaningful and why we hold on to that, you know, we're choosing to do that too. And so I find that, I find I just find it fascinating to be able to witness women and humans in in who they've been, who they are and who they're becoming. Mm. And through learning about other people, I learn about myself. Mm. And that, I mean, that, that's the gift of any kind of facilitation is, is that you don't put yourself up on any kind of pedestal and you don't put yourself down on any kind of pit. You seek to meet that person in front of you with everything that you have in this moment and be as present to their experience as you can so that through that that relationship that person gets to have a transformation and through their transformation you get to as well Mm, yeah has how you've deepened changed what safety means to you or how you create safety for your clients Mm. yeah it, it it helps me see that safety it's often like a flimsy perception. Mm-hmm. And I say that because safety comes from like what our window of tolerance is for feeling something. And that changes. It changes based on our rest levels, based on our emotions of the day, based on what we've just read or just experienced and that we're perhaps in a trauma response from ourselves. So seeing bandwidth as something that is changeable mm. helps me have a more, um, I guess, mm. nuanced perception of safety. Mm. But that also safety is such a fundamental need for any human in a more animal-like brain who feels threatened. And so it's deeply important that there is a foundation of safety for somebody to be able to feel like they can let their guard down because in that place we are the threatened animal in the corner seeing everybody as the predator. Mm. And so how we understand that within ourselves, like within even the feelings that come up as we talk and share about hard things and knowing that that's okay, like knowing that like this is a physiological response in me that's okay to feel and how can I feel this a little bit more without being terrified of it because so often we learn to to become terrified of our feelings. Mm. I think as children we do. Mm. On a visceral level, we learn, wow, that felt like I completely just got left. I can't feel that and be safe. Mm. Oh, I do that and the person that, that is God to me shuts me out. I can't ever feel that and feel safe again. Just learning that on a primal level, I think, and playing with that inside our own bodies helps us, I think, as in when we work with others to map that and help them borrow 
the safety we're building as we're in relationship to that client Mm. because we borrow we're borrowing each other's nervous systems all the time Mm. Mm. I love that so do you perceive then that your nervous system regulation and your capacity to be with different emotions is paramount yeah yeah and but also knowing my nervous system has built a capacity based on what it's been exposed to and given an opportunity to continue to practice. So my nervous system, because of the focus that I've given it on meeting and holding my children's needs and emotions, can have like enormous capacity. Mm. That's what I've helped to train it to do. But there's other areas where I, you know, haven't had a lot of practice. And so, yes, they're similar sensations, but they're in the context is different and therefore I don't have the the landscape for that. And so I also think too, recognizing that, you know, as practitioners, we'll also be taken up to where our edges are, to, you know, to the landscape that we haven't entered yet. And can we like respect the fact that we haven't met it there and we're going to be taken beyond what feels safe for us and know that that's going to happen? And so how do we then not emotionally flood in the process of seeking to support another person? Because it will be a dance. Mm. Have you gained skills along the way for yourself in that dance? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been different things that I've done with you. There's been different things I've done with different mentors to recognise, you know, knowing how to orient myself in a space when there's big feelings coming up. Yeah. So, you know, to be looking at the corners of the walls and be putting my back against something solid, be coming back to my own breath, like remembering that there's all of these tools and supports that I can immediately orient to that can help me deal with the intensity that's going on in my body as a result of what my client's bringing up or the child's bringing up. Mm. Yeah. And... Do you think we ever get something we can't handle? No, I don't think we get something we can't handle. So it's so interesting, right? Because even that is nuanced. Like I love what you're saying is, you know, essentially stay in your lane, like recognize Mm -hmm. your gifts and your strengths, recognize where you need supports and learning and to expand because by virtue of a parent-child relationship or a client-coach relationship, you're in a dynamic dance so you will be part of you will be mirroring each other so you'll be taken to edges so know how to help yourself there but also you being in alignment and an energetic match means you're never going to get someone that isn't in alignment with you and an energetic match for you yeah and that you can't somehow meet and so like and I totally believe that and I believe that we attract clients that we can serve yes but sometimes the clients that we attract that we can serve, there'll be something in the inter- in the relationship that they have with us that helps them perhaps, but not in the way they thought it would help them. Yes, yes, yes. So it can be a bit um, like triggering or it can, it can be triggering for them. It could it, it can you know if they have you know if a client goes to a coach or any kind of practitioner or mentor and thinks that, that person's going to fix them and save them and they build up a massive fantasy, then our role for them is to break that mm. because that's that that's giving their power over to us and that's not our role. Our role is to remind them of their own. 
And so sometimes we remind them of something. We, we, we can remind people of their power and the consequence of that is that they, and not I'm not speaking from experience necessarily because I haven't had this to my knowledge yet, but that they can resent you. Yeah. Or they can resent deciding to go down that path with you. But that's that, that's not necessarily, like we're playing in an entanglement with them and in a dynamic with them. And that, you know, there is also value for us recognising where, like, yes, we can serve everyone who comes to us, but we also need to feel into, you know, is this beyond the scope of the where I want to practice? Mm. So if somebody comes to me with deep trauma mm. that feels that where I feel out of my depth and I feel like I'm really careful that I don't make this worse for you then I want to be really mindful of how I work with that client and how deep I take them because I can I can feel based on their language based on perhaps their level of knowledge of the the way that I work whether it's going to feel safe enough for them to enter that or not and that's where perhaps traditional paths of therapy might be better for them because they want that kind of work. Yeah. I love it. Love it. What have been the most influential moments in your business journey? Mm. Taking scary leaps, I think. Like one of those was like even you and I like showing up at the wellness summit and having a stand there when Sylvie was like three weeks old mm. like that was pretty mind-bending for my value system then like to take a newborn baby and do this business thing and and like marry the two or when a friend of mine and I we raised like money and like enormous sponsorships to do a road trip and film a documentary when Sylvie was nine months old like just to do things I think that like challenged my values to their edges like in terms of my values on parenting but also showed me what was possible when I did do that those have been really pivotal moments and then also when the pandemic hit and I had this sense okay like business as I know it is no longer what's a new form and just staying with that question and I think it was in the shower that I came up with like the every module of the course that I then did in July 2020 and which was really the beginning of me transitioning all of my work online. Mm. Just those openings where you just go, oh, yeah, okay, and you have that sense of certainty in your body, it's like, yeah, I'm just doing this. Can't explain exactly why, but I'm just doing this. Amazing. I love those moments. (laughs) What has your business taught you about yourself and love? Sorry, I just had to cough. Um, what has my business taught me about myself and love? Oh, my gosh, so much. I remember, like, the first coach that I had, that I had, like, it must have been about seven years ago, eight years ago, and he said to me, like, you know, your business will be, like, your biggest spiritual journey. 
And I was like thinking, what? Like I had such a rudimentary like <laughs> understanding of how business can be. Ah, naivety. <laughs> Which now seven years on, you can giggle at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that one, I think, just staying with the fact that Oh, like, yeah, this isn't meant to be easy. Like I'm any attachment that I have to this, you know, like because my business is going to challenge my self-worth in ways I perhaps haven't challenged it before. And, you know, I even rem- remember like the first time somebody bought, you know, I was on a six-figure corporate income, right? But there was something so different to me about creating something from nothing that was purely myself and someone paying me for it. And so when the first person, like I remember I was trying to decide the ticket price for my events and I like, remember I was talking to my coach about it and I was like, I can't charge $25. Like, there's, like people won't pay that. And he really kind of talked me around and I got there. But the first person who paid me that $25, it was just like, such a heart opening moment of like wow like in this strange way like I've made it (laughs) in a sense that I'd proved to myself that I could create something from nothing and that there was no employer that I was responsible to it was to myself Mm. and I think that that's the constant thing for me with business is that like I, I need to treat it and continue to nurture it because I am, it's part of me being responsible to myself and how responsible am I willing to be? In terms of valuing it, in terms of valuing my time, in terms of stretching my vision beyond what's comfortable, in terms of doing the uncomfortable, in terms of showing up when I don't really want to. Because, yes, you can, like, yes, we want to create these businesses and these services that's really into, in integrity, but that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. Or comfortable. Or comfortable. And particularly coming from such, I mean, both of my parents were employees, you know, teacher and project manager, right? I didn't come from an entrepreneurial background. I didn't come from the risk-taking that it requires of us. And, you know, I spent you know, upwards of 10 years in a very comfortable corporate life. So there is even just the, like, safety that we're asked to build for our own nervous system to take the risks that it takes to back yourself and grow a business. Mm. You could choose comfort and a paycheck. That's big. Yeah, it is. When it's not modelled for you, that, like, that's, you have to, you, you go first. You just have to keep leading yourself. I can't even remember what the question was. What was the question? Truth. Yeah, and I'm lost. It. I'm like, yeah, truth. <laughs> um, business and love. Oh, and also looking at, you know, when things don't work, how is this also still love? Like how is this loving me back into my values? How is this loving me enough to help me see where I need to grow? Yeah. how you know I remember like her coach was getting me to see like because one of my fears was like people wouldn't come and so he would work with me on like well, what would be the benefits of people not coming and like that was just so like what do you mean I'm like what do you mean I have to see the benefits of people not coming it's the same thing like what if nobody buys your course yeah. what's the benefit to you then but if you're looking at business in a really black and white way in a really 
purely based on the financial numbers kind of way in a really like rudimentary success versus failure way, then you're going to feel shame and overwhelm whenever you entertain those ideas. But like going to those ideas and finding the wisdom in those is actually what then helps you avoid that. Mm. It's not scary anymore. Yeah, can you slow that down a little? Yeah, so if nobody buys my course or if two people buy my course, like what's the benefit of that? Like I get to, sh- I get to figure out how to serve them in a different way, serve the people who did buy in a different way. I get to look at my market and understand them better. I get to check in with myself and ask myself what part of me didn't want to do this. Because if it's not selling, there's a part of me that also hasn't made room in my life, in my perspective to serve in this way. So there's an enormous like self-responsibility, I think, that comes with like asking us to love ourselves and our businesses a little bit more widely than, you know, those standard parameters of success or failure. A little bit like in a relationship, like is your relationship only successful if you never fight? No. Just like is your business only successful if you, you know, never have a bad month or, you know, never have to deal with low numbers in your courses? No. That's part of the journey to success, to fulfilment, to health. Mm. And I think continuing to come back to that is important. So by asking ourselves those questions and finding the benefits and the soul wisdom and all of the ways that we're meeting our values and, and growing abundance, does that kind of equilibrate our attachment to it? Is that what you mean by that's how yeah. we almost <clears throat> avoid the thing because we're no longer running from the thing? Yeah. So if my biggest fear is no one showing up at my event, guess what has to happen? I'm going to have an event where there's hardly any people and I have to have really hard conversations with storeholders and feel bad about taking their money. Or if nobody buys my course and I only have two in there, I have to figure out how am I going to still serve these two people in a way that I promise to serve them and leave them feeling like that they got a great transformation mm. like, and, and not be so terrified of those things happening that I then do nothing, mm. right? I, I then don't run the screening again because I'm so traumatised by the hard conversations I had to have, or I don't take the leap of launching a course again in case I have to feel again the awkwardness of going back to those people and saying, actually, what I said I was going to do, I have to do a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. What's the best business advice you've ever received? Oh, gosh. Um, What keeps coming to me, and it's not necessarily personally received business advice, one of them is business will be, you know, an enormous spiritual path, which has taken me a while to really like <laughs> land with <laughs> and like accept. Um, and another one, I think when I've been in the swelly swells of like, what do I know? What am I doing? I don't know. Um, has been the words of Tony Robbins who said, find yourself in the service of others. Oh, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, I really like it because... What that does is it helps you get to this place of, oh, because it's not about me. Yeah. It's about the service and in being of service, who do I get to become through being of service? Totally. 
And then you remember that you've always got something that you can serve with. Love it. What could you never go back to or would never do again? Well, you know, I don't like to say never. I never say never to me. Um, so that knowing that, that language. <laughs> yeah, but the, yeah, the imperative language. Um, never go back to. I'd like to say that I would never go back to like trying to shoehorn myself into a job just for the money mm. because it was it was kind of soul-sucking. Yeah, totes. But, I, I mean, as I try to do, I, I see the value in it, but, but I, knowing what that felt like in my body and how much I had to do all my mindset stuff to make myself be there in some of those seasons. I know what that feels like enough to know that the hard work of building a business is worth it. Mm. I love that perspective. Mm. What would you tell a younger you about business? Believe that it's beautiful and not a bad word. Mm. Tell me more. What does that mean? Well, I think I, I definitely had a lot of preconceived ideas about business um, and it being perhaps cold or, you know, unforgiving or what do you want to say? Just not me, right? Like I would struggle to be in, embodied in it because of all of the, I guess, traditional ideas of business being cutthroat or, um, I don't even know what the word is. I don't know. I think it probably comes from my like twenties of being like lefty, progressive, big business, bad kind of vibes. Mm. And so I think that I would tell my younger self, like, see the beauty in it, like see that it can actually deeply fulfill what you're here to do and the impact that you're here to make. And that when you thrive in business, everything that you love and the here to touch gets to thrive. Oh, man, that feels like a mic drop, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. When you thrive in business, everything that you do and love gets to thrive too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything that you touch, like, right, so everything that, like, that you're entangled with and that mean, it means something to you gets to thrive as well. Remember another coach said to me once, like when I was railing on corporate, he was like, yeah, but you know, like corporates are responsible for like the biggest societal shifts. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah. But caught up in the cog wheel of it where I felt I was positioned, I felt like constrained. Mm. I didn't want to be in that box. Yeah. But on a grander scale, it's true. Do you ever find yourself scared, spiralling into dark places or facing imposter syndrome? And oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you in those times? Get the fuck off social media. <laughs> That's what I do too. 
stop the doom scroll. (laughs) Put your blinkers on, just do you, just do you. Yeah. Um, What I do, I also, because, I mean, that that happens whenever you compare, right? Because you totally, whenever you compare, you minimise yourself. You can't, like, appreciate yourself and compare yourself at the same time. Yes. So off social media, if I'm really in a, like, doom spiral, I will often, I have like a folder of like client testimonials and feedback. I will look at that and remember that I'm not shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not as shit as I think. Um, I will serve someone. So I will like give really good service. I'll hop in my boxes. I will listen three times if I have to 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 a client's message and think, what's here, what's here, what thread can I pull? And give them my all. Because I get to feel what it feels like to be of service and make a difference and I make it not about me anymore. Yeah. Back to that find yourself, um, you know, in your service. I really love that. Mm. What are your pillars of self-nourishment? Yeah, dancing around my house, mm-hmm. music, sleep. Mm. And, I mean, I, like, love learning and studying stuff. So, like, finding something that I really want to sink my teeth into mm. helps me feel, like, really good. Mm. Really listening to what I need. Like, so not pushing through or not gaslighting myself from what I want by, like, you know, talking myself out of it. Mm. Mm. So, like, going for the appointment to have a massage or acupuncture or <clears throat> like whatever would feel like in that moment probably, like, indulgent. Mm. Like, choosing the things that help me come back into myself Love it. Because because I think particularly when you're like a practitioner and you're also parenting like fairly constantly, there can be a lot of a sense of of giving. And in that giving, you can like, unless you're boundaried with it, you can have a sense of losing yourself in that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, what do I need to come back into myself? Do I need a nap? Sometimes a nap is like the most nourishing thing I can do so what do I need to make that possible Mm. what are your favorite business tools Mm. my immediate thought is business tools I don't have any business tools well I love zoom because you know I run most of my business on zoom um business tools scheduling tools I really like scheduling tools like acuity for like making sure that I've made times that work for people and work for myself um what other business tools do I like I'm pretty lean what else I don't even know maybe I have a maybe I have a vacuum on business tools (laughs) canva I love canva yes I love canva canva's so good uh, what business tools do I use? Canva, Zoom, Acuity, 
Thank you. Yeah, that'd be my big three. Like, and of course, like social media. And then I think also like knowing what you need to tap into to get your like business um, fix. Because the thing about when you're working for yourself, when you're working on your own, like you need to be able to like curate environments that help you stay connected to business and like thinking about business. And so like coaching containers, um, people to follow that help you like prioritise your business and particularly if you're somebody like me who doesn't typically think I need to sell this and like, you know, like be hyper-masculine about this thing, having reminders of that aspect of business I find really helpful and that so that's a tool for me Mm. but yeah I don't I use most stuff in um like I use Google Drive for most things like creating documents and scheduling like you know calendar and stuff like that that'd be it for me I'm sorry I'm sorry I don't have anything more whiz bang I think that's a lot there's like five things there that's a lot okay do you have any favorite audiobook recommendations Oh, I love an audio book. Um, well, it depends what what area of life we're talking about. If we're talking about business. <laughs> can be any, like is there just this could just be an open-ended. What okay. are your audio books do you love? Usually, because usually podcast listeners also love to consume their books in an audio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it can be any platform of book, but I'm more going. You and I both love podcasts. You and I both love audiobooks. Turns out we're auditory learners. Yes, it's true, isn't it? I, yeah, I really am. Um, I tend to have this habit of like having about five audiobooks on the go at any one time. Yeah, so t- <laughs> just open your phone. Tell me what the five okay. are going on at What's phone. in my, oh no, because I, oh, here it is, library. Oh yeah. I've got a mix of my children's ones and mine. So which ones are mine? Oh, actually, I have, I'm halfway through, but I've quite enjoy, been enjoying Existential Kink lately. Oh, yeah. About, um, I don't know that one. Yeah, you, you would find it interesting. And oh, I like this book called Anchored, which is all about um, the nervous system and like noticing like that safety piece and like stretching yourself. Oh, Joe Dispenza, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Oh, that's such a good one. And Becoming Supernatural. Atomic Habits. Yeah. Uh, the Values Factor, John D. Martini, one of my favourite books. Um, I quite like David Hawkins' books. He's got a book called Power Versus Force, which is really good. Oh, and yes, the- yes. Power Versus Force, I highly recommend. I actually think that's on my list, but I haven't listened, I haven't um, done it yet. So you do like that one. I really like that one. And I like The Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. Yeah. i got lots of books in here. There's like 30 books in here. But I would pick out those ones if we're talking like business, personal growth stuff. And I would say um, I haven't got an audio book, but I do really like The Richest Man in Babylon. Yes, such a good one. That's my roundup of my audio book. Thank you. That gives us all somewhere to go and extended learning from this podcast. So I'm super (laughs) grateful for that. Before we wrap up today, is there anything that feels left unsaid for you or that you would love to leave here for all of the, and who I assume is going to be listening to this, uh, potentially women, maybe men too, but I imagine mostly women who are on a business journey, coaching journey, facilitating others' journey in some way, holding space for others Mm -hmm. in some way. Is there anything that you would like to leave with them? 
I would like to leave them with like trust in your capacity, but also value your learning and growth. Because when we learn and grow, we help our clients to learn and grow too. So be like, be, you know, be the student and the teacher. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. that so much. What did you say? Trust your capacity. Trust, ah. trust your own capacity. So this is this is to that point that you were saying about, you know, do you believe that we really ever get somebody we can't serve? Yeah. yeah. Trust in your capacity, but also be humble enough to be continue but to continue to be the student. Yeah. Continue to further your own learning. Enough to, yeah, further your own learning. I love it. Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, I adore you. It just feels like it's like bomb after bomb in this podcast. So I'm super grateful for your wisdom and your time. I would love you to share what we can jump into with you, Bridge, and how we can connect with you and find out more about your world. Oh, thank you, Jules. That's such a joy to be here. I just adore you. The feeling is likewise. Um, you can find me at bridgetwood.life where I offer courses and coaching uh, and I also have a, a really beautiful membership called Reimagining Motherhood. So it's for mothers on a conscious parenting journey who are really seeking to play in that liminal space where the conscious parent and the whole woman can collide. So it's not all about our children and it's not all about us and all of our dreams. It's at this beautiful intersection of the two where I think there's some pretty amazing magic. So that's the monthly membership that you can join at any time at the moment. Um, so, yeah, come and check it out. It's called Reimagining Motherhood. And we'll make sure we have all of those links in the show notes so you can just scroll on down and click those links and you'll be taken straight there. Thanks again, Magic Bridgie, for being here. Thank you for having me, Jules. I'm over here giving you a virtual, completely non-awkward, full of love hug because you just finished another episode of the Deeper Practitioner podcast. If you want more, head on over to julietenner.love in all the places for your freebies, downloads and daily inspiration. If you want to be ahead of the game and know about the latest releases, offers and weekly ways to inspire how you deepen and love, be sure to join my mailing list. The link's waiting for you at julietenner.love. Thank you so much for spending your time and brain space listening to this podcast. Big love. Mwah.